Welcome to Be All You Are, a Midlife Awakening Podcast. I'm your host, Kena Paranjape, the founder of All You Are, a women's lifestyle brand, an entrepreneur, writer, and mother. This podcast is all about stepping into All You Are. It's about reconnecting to your inner voice so you can hear the whispers of your true desires and cultivate the courage to create the life that is meant for you. Your dreams are your soul's voice. They are worth your time and attention. Now head out on that solo walk or settle into a cozy spot with a favorite beverage and join me. I can't wait to meet you. Welcome to another episode of Be All You Are, a Midlife Awakening Podcast. Today I'm connecting with Catherine Choi, a dear friend and the founder of So Young, a company that makes stylish lunch bags, backpacks, and cosmetic cases, among other things, out of lovely washable linen. I can pretty much guarantee you've seen some of their designs at your favorite places to shop. They have recently been in anthropology and also just launched at Target. We are going to touch on Catherine's entrepreneurial journey with So Young today, but where we really go deep is her own personal journey of healing and transformation. Catherine has an incredible, almost unbelievable story, especially when you meet her today. She is truly an inspiration when it comes to stepping into all you are. Whatever you do, make sure you listen to the, until the end where Catherine answers the question, what does it mean to be all you are? It is a beautiful and profound answer. Hi, Catherine. Welcome Hi. to my podcast, Be All You Are. I'm so happy to have you here. Aw, thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I was thinking about how far back we go, and I realized that we had, we knew each other more through business avenues, you know, it, years ago, like maybe even more than 10 years ago, I think, when you about were selling... Yeah, when I was I was buying, I was a buyer at a store and I was buying some of your your diaper bags at that point for <laughs> for the store, which is amazing. And then and then we kind of came back into each other's lives through a mastermind and then from there I have actually said this to you and I want to say it on the podcast is that you have been such such a critical part of my life in the last five years as I've been going through a lot of change and a lot of healing and a lot of transformation. And I feel like you haven't only been a partner while I've been doing that and, and also on your own journey, but you've been a part of it. Like you've been a part of the change that I've gone through. So it means so much to me to have you on the podcast. I mean, I... I agree with you in the sense that I do feel that it is almost like this, we were brought together. There's that sense that, you know, when we kind of reconnected through the mastermind group, the process and the journey that kind of we could never have, you know, foreseen would happen in looking back, I really see it as it was meant to be. We were brought mm -hmm. together for a reason, you know, and so, you know, I feel the same way about you, you know, that you have been a huge part and continue to be a huge part of, you know, this thing that we seem to, this, this thing that we seem to be birthing. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> 
Yes. <laughs> Definitely a bit of an inside joke there as, as Catherine was telling me about her dream earlier today. So <laughs> it's so true. And, you know, you've had such an incredible story. And I think in some ways, what we have in common is that how we show up in the world now and what we've gone through, like what we've experienced when people hear it, the reaction is like, wow, you know, like I wouldn't have known that from meeting you here at this event or hearing you on a podcast at, you wouldn't really be able to comprehend sort of some of the journeys that we have both been on. And I think that's part of the reason why we were drawn to each other as well. Yes. Um, we are going to get into that, but what I wanted to maybe start with, and I, and I love asking this question, I'm going to ask you about what you were like as a child. And the reason why I love this question is because, you know, as children, we so freely display our true essence, right? And as we get older, yes, there are so many influences in our lives that change how we show up. But I'm curious, and some of us don't have the memories of what we were like as a five-year-old, but I'm curious if you remember what you were like. I don't think I've actually ever asked you this question, so I'm really, I'm really yeah. interested to hear your answer. So in terms of specific memories, I don't have a whole lot. I have, you know, little bits and pieces here and there of moments that kind of compiled together is my memory of childhood. But I do think that at a very, very young age, you know, as a baby, I would say that sense of, you know, being a light in the world and like kind of the natural emanation of joy and happiness. I think that was shut down really quickly for me. Uh, I think that I was very fearful at a very young age. And, you know, that there's, you know, reasons for that. There was a, a lot of kind of childhood trauma around domestic abuse. And, you know, my father was, you know, somewhere in between a heavy drinker and an alcoholic, depending. Mm -hmm. uh, and as a result of that, I think who I always remember myself to be or how I remember feeling was tremendously insecure as a young child mm -hmm. into adulthood, right? And that was... That was my main experience. I had this sense that I wasn't safe, that people didn't like me mostly, except for a few safe, you know, safe people. Mm -hmm. And in general, that the world was like a scary place. Yes. I mean, that's so difficult to hear, obviously, because I love you. And so that I, you know, no, whenever I hear a story like this, I feel like I want to scoop up little Catherine and hug her, you know? But as you have said to me so powerfully in the past that we're on this adventure called life, right? And it's who we become mm -hmm. as we navigate all that and all that we are handed, because obviously as a child, you didn't choose, choose you know, that environment. And, you know, I was going to ask you next about your entrepreneurial journey. And, and I know that your journey towards entrepreneurship was sort of a continuum, right? It was part of that evolution. But I wanted to sort of leave that open to you of how you wanted to describe your evolution to starting so young. Yeah. 
Okay, well, I mean, it's a very long, circuitous route that, you know, I think it really is grounded in personal growth, right? It, that is at the root, root of it. You know, my business was on one hand inspired by an idea to create a product that, you know, I was lit up with this idea to create a diaper bag, which was my very first product. But the story that kind of was the subtext of that was that it was also equally a way for me to address my emotional pain, right? And that emotional pain was like this voice that just would never, ever leave me alone and was always, you know, saying things like, you could never do that. Like, you're crazy. This is like, you know, people like you don't do things like that. You, you don't know how to do it. like all that stuff. Right. And, you know, leading up to that moment of when I decided to just jump was an entire lifetime of growth mm -hmm. that got me to that mm -hmm. moment. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that the story really starts, I think, when I graduated from university. And, you know, as I mentioned, this whole like view of life, my experience with life up until that point was, you know, that I just did what I was supposed to do. Right. And, you know, growing up in a very traditional Korean family, girls, their main purpose was to be marriageable. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, you know, my father had determined at a very young age that, you know, I wasn't really ever going to be what they considered, you know, the prize kind of career of being a doctor or a lawyer. Right. And so it didn't really have much aspirations for me. It was just more like, you know, do something where you can get a job and you can have security and, you know, you can have a family. And so I was never really encouraged to, to, you know, think big or believe in my own potential. There was none of that. Right. And, you know, the opposite, right, was the sense that I was not worth anything. Mm -hmm. And basically, you know, my father had kept my sister and I in a very, very, you know, strict container growing up, right, where we had very little personal freedom. And, you know, there was this understanding of we weren't allowed to have boyfriends, even in university or, you know, go out. Like I did not have personal freedom. I was not allowed to go away for university. I had to stay at home. And, you know, I was a very, very submissive girl. And I did have a boyfriend in university that my parents pretended they didn't know about. <laughs> and this boyfriend was, you know, this Italian boy who grew up from a family in a family that was very kind of like, he was such a rebel. He didn't care what his parents told him to do. He just did whatever he wanted to do. And, and so to me, that was kind of a, you know, eye-opening thing, right? Where it's like, wow, you know, your parents will not beat you up if you don't listen, right? And long story short, you know, after I graduated from university, I finally was after, you know, some serious negotiation allowed to move out on my own. And I had my first job. I was working as a bank teller and I had 
moved out with my girlfriend, but really I had moved out with my girlfriend and her boyfriend and my boyfriend. But, you know, according to our parents, it was just the two of us. And, you know, what ended up happening was that when I moved out, it was my first taste of, of freedom in my life. And I remember just deciding that I was going to do everything I had missed out on. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I was never a party girl. Like I <laughs> never wanted to go to clubs. I hate that scene. And uh, at the same time, I guess there was a part of me that was aching to do all the things one does when they party, right? <laughs> Including drugs. And, uh, and so basically my first experience of drugs was heroin. And, mm -hmm. you know, I was really so like clueless about anything related to it that I, I wasn't even really sure that I was doing heroin because to me, heroin was like this white substance that, you know, you inject, right? And instead it was called smack and they were smoking it. So I was like, maybe it's like heroin, but it's not. I, and I wasn't really sure, but mm -hmm. regardless, it seemed harmless. And I thought, I'm just going to do it, right? And basically the way that it got introduced to me was that, you know, my boyfriend had a best friend from high school who had never, you know, gone beyond high school. And, you know, after graduating from high school, started working nights in a button factory and, you know, really just he himself was very disempowered in his life. And so he had become a heroin addict and he was still living at home in his parents' basement and was constantly like using drugs on the sly, in his car, wherever, but it was never a comfortable experience. And so when we moved into our apartment, he was just so happy that he had somewhere that he could use, you know, openly and was, you know, like willing to share. Right. And so that's kind of how that scenario came to be. And, you know, at first it was really kind of like, oh, you know, that was, I don't know, it was okay. I didn't really have this great kind of response to it. Mm -hmm. But I do recall feeling like, oh, finally, I get to have fun on the weekends. And I remember that weekends turned into something that I enjoyed, right? And, and like, you know, I remember on Fridays after work, I would like pr practically like skip home because it was like, it's Friday, right? And I've never had that experience mm -hmm. um, before. Mm -hmm. And so anyways, there was one particular Friday night where, you know, I was sitting around the table with, you know, my boyfriend and his friend, and then my two roommates who were pot smokers. And basically it was like, you know, Friday night fun. And my roommate's girlfriend or my roommate, who was the girl and her boyfriend, mm -hmm. The girl, we had all gone to university together, the four of us, and I just didn't like her very much, right? As we, I liked her when we moved in together, but then once you get to know someone and mm -hmm. you live with them, I just, I really felt this sense of like, oh my God, I was looking at her feeling just this sense of, I can't stand her, right? Like she mm -hmm. just so mean to like my friend who is her boyfriend and she, she doesn't pick up after herself and all of these things and I was, you know, these thoughts were circulating in my head and they were passing around, you know, the, the drugs and, you know, I was given my turn. And so basically what happened was I turned and I took like one toke and basically 
I experienced something that, you know, is very hard to describe, but it was like being hit with the most incredible sense of peace and love. And it's like everything went silent, right? And quite honestly, today what I call that is a God experience, right? Mm -hmm. And I do believe I had a God experience, you know, with this, but I wasn't ready for it. And <laughs> I had never in my life felt so whole. And mm -hmm. in that moment, I looked back at my roommate who like literally 30 seconds before that, I'd been thinking all of these negative thoughts. And I looked at her and all I could feel in that moment was just this intense love for her, mm -hmm. right? And I was like, I mm -hmm. love her so much, right? Mm -hmm. And that moment for me, when I look back afterwards, was where I think there was this pivotal moment where everything changed. And it was really about chasing that experience again that mm -hmm. became kind of what turned my life into a nightmare for the next three and a half years right mm -hmm. so you know i mean it what didn't happen immediately but within a short time within i would say the next couple of months what happened was that you know Fridays turned into Fridays and Saturdays, and then it turned into Friday, Saturday, Sundays. And then one morning it had turned into Monday morning. And then it was, mm -hmm. you know, game on all the time. And, and so over the course of three and a half years, what happened was that, you know, I, we transitioned, my boyfriend and I transitioned from being recreational drug users to full-time drug users, you know, that ended up kind of running the gamut of like, you know, uh, IV heroin use to crack cocaine to whatever, you know, mm -hmm. and I was funding my habit, you know, as, as it got more and more expensive, I was funding my habit through skimming off the top of my father's investment savings that he had entrusted to me as power of attorney, because I had a securities license that I had mm -hmm. earned and he was of all the things that I've ever accomplished in my life, the one thing that my father was most proud of me for mm -hmm. was that I passed this Canadian securities course, which, you know, has this very high failure rate, supposedly, you know, mm -hmm. and I passed it with 90s. And I remember the day that I got my mark in the mail because I had been saying, like, usually you have to take this course two or three times before you can pass. And like, I got my mark and it was like 90 something. And I I remember when I, you know, kind of opened the envelope and I was like, I got 90 something. And my father was like, 90 something, right? And that was that moment that there was this connection of like, wow, you know, and I'd mm -hmm. never had that. Mm -hmm. Anyways, which is what prompted him to ironically, you know, as a vote of confidence, say, here you go. I'm giving you power of attorney over my investments. Mm -hmm. You disappeared. Oh, yeah. And, and, and then, you know, like what happens, you know, years later is that I end up completely abusing that and it ends up being what finances my heroin habit. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was a very complex system that I had designed that my father did not find out about it. And so, you know, it was one of those things that I could 
as the addiction kind of progressed and I found myself going deeper and deeper into this life that, you know, I didn't recognize as mine, I had the denial had to like be equally strong, right? And so I could deny the reality of my life during the day. But at nighttime, that was not possible. And what would happen at nighttime was that I would lie in bed and I would have the covers like completely over my face. And, you know, I couldn't sleep because the reality would descend on me. And it Mm. would be just like, I would be in so much terror around Mm. my father finding out about my life and and then realize like, and also just being about like, I can't believe this is my life, right? Mm. And I would every night just like pray the same prayer, like, please God, please God, please God, whatever happens, please don't let him find out about the money, right? Because I knew that if he found out about the money, I would not have what it took to face him. And that Mm -hmm. my solution for that was that I was just going to kill myself. And that was Mm -hmm. it, right? And so this was, you know, like, I don't know, a couple of years. I wanted to stop using about four months after I realized that I was physically addicted to this drug. Mm -hmm. And so between that four month to the three years after that, every single morning, was the, I would wake up and go, okay, today is the day I'm not going to use today. And like mm-hmm. sometimes within minutes and sometimes I would last a couple hours, maybe a couple times I lasted a day, I would succumb to it every single time. And I was convinced that I did not have the strength to overcome this addiction. I just yeah. was like, I'm going to die an addict because mm-hmm. I can't do this. It's stronger than me. Mm-hmm. And so what ended up happening, of course, was that one day my father did find out about the money and it came through my sister calling me and basically saying, are you doing something in, you know, dad's bank accounts? And as soon as she asked me that question, I was like, okay, it's over. Right. And so I made some excuse to get off the phone. And, and then as soon as I hung up, the phone just started ringing like crazy. And it was like call display, which my dad was calling, the bank was calling. And it was like, oh my God, I have to get out of here, you know? Mm-hmm. And so in my mind, I was like, this is it. This is it. This is the moment of truth. And like, mm-hmm. this is like, you have a solution. It's time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, was living in Montreal at the time. I had a dog. My my boyfriend at the time was never home anymore. He was actually mm-hmm. running an escort agency out of our apartment and working like full days and then at night running an escort agency. And that was a whole other double life. Like there were just so many things about my life that, you know, years later I was like, was that my life? Because that's really <laughs> I thought I that's why I'm like that this whole this whole part of your life that you're telling us about now, it's not even a chapter. It's a completely yeah. different volume, you know, oh like it, it belongs in its own book. It's not oh. a chapter. Book. It's its own book. So much. And there's like, you know, different characters that are just yeah. so, I, it was like really and truly another world mm-hmm. of people and mm-hmm. a world of suffering, right. That mm-hmm. I look back mm-hmm. and I'm like, wow, so many people are in so much pain. Right. Yes. And most people don't know about it, you know? Yes. But anyways, basically what happened was, you know, I had my dog and I was like walking the streets of Montreal and thinking like, okay, 
what am I going to do? How am I going to do this? And like, really just in that, like, am I really going to do this? You know? And mm -hmm. I had this like sense that I, on one hand, you know, had always believed that suicide isn't the answer to anything. Right. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, I was like, even if like I, you know, even if it's not the answer, at least I escaped this physical kind of, you know, experience of me. Right. And, mm -hmm. and kind of grappling with that. But, you know, eventually what happened was, first of all, I was praying the whole time. And I'm not a religious person. I wasn't then, but mm -hmm. I had always believed in God. Like I was raised a Catholic, but I wasn't like a practicing Catholic. My mother mm -hmm. was. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for me, God was like kind of the fallback, like in desperation, like if there is a God, you know, please. Mm -hmm. And so I, I was kind of pleading and begging for a miracle, like, please, like, let this miracle be that this isn't happening. Like, I don't yeah. want this life that this life isn't mine, that somehow I'm going to wake up and the nightmare is going to be over. That's yeah. the miracle that I wanted. Um, mm -hmm. And I had this prayer card that my mother had stuck in my purse and she knew that she didn't know what was wrong, but she knew something was wrong. Mm -hmm. And, and I found it in my purse and I had memorized it and it was a very long version of the Hail Mary. And mm -hmm. I, I had memorized it only because it was like a mantra for me to be able to take my mind off of, you know, all of the racing thoughts. Right. And I remember walking down the streets and I was just like saying it over and over and over and over again. And I eventually, you know, ended up in front of this, this church that's on like downtown Montreal. It's this mm -hmm. beautiful church that is on Trenenevec and it's called Mary Queen of the World. And mm -hmm. I used to walk by it a lot at nighttime and it was a beautiful mm -hmm. church that was always lit up and I would go in and as much as I never enjoyed going to church, I always loved that sense of reverence. Like when yes. you come in, it's like quiet, mm -hmm. and there were candles lit, you know, and, and I remember lighting a candle. I must have left my dog outside. I can't remember actually, but it was like, what happened to my dog? But anyways, I was, <laughs> I was there and I, you know, really and truly just begging. And I thought maybe because it's so desperate right now, maybe God will answer me finally, mm -hmm. right? Because mm -hmm. I never felt the presence of God ever in, mm -hmm. uh, in the four years, right? And, uh, you know, the whole sense of what is a miracle, you know, what I wanted was the, the big like lightning bolt miracle. And mm -hmm. I do believe that a miracle happened Mm -hmm. at that church. And it was a miracle of just this slight shift in thought. And that thought was, why don't you ask for help? Right. And like, you'd think that that would have been kind of like, yeah, of course. Right. But, <laughs> you know, I truly believe that nobody could help me. Right. I yeah. really was convinced of the fact that send me to treatment. doesn't matter what you do. I'm just going to keep using right? Yeah. And so don't ask because you can't deliver, right? Yeah. And I also, I guess, didn't really believe that anyone really would care enough to help me. I don't know. I hadn't really thought it through, but yeah. that moment of, of thinking like, I'm going to ask for help, or maybe I can ask for help. Who can I ask for help? And then my sister popped into my head, you know, that was the miracle, right? Yeah. And so 
I basically, you know, got myself back to my apartment mm -hmm. and I picked up the phone and I called my sister and I told her everything, right? And, you know, it was really interesting because my sister had pieced together a lot of things. There were clues along the way mm -hmm. very, very early on when I was using for fun, even before that God moment, my sister had come to visit me at my new apartment in Montreal. And she basically, I was like, hey, do you want to try something? And of course, that was the <laughs> snapshot she took when she looked at what happened to her, right? Yeah. So anyways, long story short. <laughs> I ended up in detox and I went to treatment and there was this incredible experience that I think is finally linking back to your original question is of starting my business that I had an experience of grace and, mm -hmm. you know, grace, divinity, God that stayed with me, which was that I ended up in this detox that was really a down and dirty kind of detox. It wasn't, you know, very fancy. It was yeah, like Palm Springs rehab or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in Montreal, there were like mm. syringes lining the gutters of the sidewalks as I was walking in and very, very French Canadian. But, you know, I had this experience where I was given, you know, a medical kind of cocktail of pills to taper off over the course of three days. And I had made a friend the minute I walked in the door and that actually continued to happen for the whole first year I was clean. I felt like I was just putting one foot in front of the other and somebody would be put in my path who was the next thing leading to the next thing, right? And so yeah. I met this guy, his name was Lauren, and he was the only English speaking guy there. He was the only guy there who was also there for heroin. He'd already gone through the worst of the detox and he was perfectly fine. And mm -hmm. he'd been there a couple of times already. And I felt like he was there to take, to watch out for me. And so he mm -hmm. was like, okay, so tonight the nurse is going to give you a cocktail of pills. Do not let anyone like talk you into switching pills with them. Take them all. He's like, you're not, you're probably going to fall asleep for the next few days. I'm not going to see much of you. And then the worst of it's going to be over. And I was like, okay. And so that's exactly what happened. But what happened over the next three or four days was like, I was like in this dream state. And mm -hmm. ultimately I don't remember much of it except for little bits and pieces. And then the morning of the fourth day, I woke up really early and I woke up and I was like clear. Like it was like my head was clear for the first time mm -hmm. since this whole thing had started. Right. Mm -hmm. And I thought, what's different? You know, I feel like something's different. And then it hit me that for the first time in four years, almost four years, I had woken up without thinking about how am I going to get my next fix? Right. And, yeah. and the only thing that I wanted to do was just like take a nice hot bath, which I did. And mm -hmm. that desire to use never came back. And the mm -hmm. significance of that only became more and more wondrous to me as the years, as like I went through the detox and then I went through three months of residential treatment in Toronto, which is how I got to Toronto. Mm -hmm. And then I went mm -hmm. through 10 years of 12 step meetings. And in those years, I became very well-versed in the world of recovery and addiction. Mm -hmm. And what I saw was that I was gifted something 
that so many people did not get. And I had no explanation for why, you know? And I also had this sense of like, this was gifted to me for a reason. It wasn't gifted to me just to go off on, have a great life, right? It was like, I have to do something with this, but I don't know what yet. And then- You almost felt the sense of responsibility almost. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. There was like, you know, yeah, that question of why me? Why did Mm -hmm. I get this, right? Mm -hmm. And so then fast forward, you know, almost 10 years later, and I have that moment of inspiration where that's funny. While I never connected that piece about the securities course and my dad, I remember that moment. But I yeah, it's, yeah, um, it's very ironic that it's that one thing that actually allowed you to. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't very that ironic. So crazy. <laughs> so yeah. So fast forward to that moment when I have this inspiration to create a product mm-hmm. and you know, what got me to that moment was, you know, after the first year of, you know, I, I re-stabilized my life in the first year mm-hmm. of getting clean. And that whole first year of recovery was the happiest year of my life. I really, mm-hmm. truly look back on the year, that being the year where I just felt the sense of freedom. I was, and not mm-hmm. just freedom, like in terms of, I had no money. I was totally broke mm-hmm. and I was living in a halfway house. Like my external circumstances were probably different, difficult, but they didn't feel difficult. Right. Yeah. And I had a solid base of, you know, really the right people who I was navigating early recovery with and we were all Mm -hmm. very committed to our recovery Mm -hmm. and so my life became about staying clean right Mm -hmm. and but what was most prevalent was I wasn't weighed down by this sense of worthlessness and inadequacy it just Mm -hmm. kind of was put on the back burner and then after the first year it was almost like I you know I had now by the end of the first year I had gotten myself back into the workforce. I was in starting a relationship with someone, you know, had my own apartment and mm-hmm. I was landing back into kind of being a contributing member of society. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think also what happened was life started to become real again. Right. Mm-hmm. And those yeah. feelings of inadequacy started to come back. Mm-hmm. Right? And the difference was though, that I was now in a position after having had, you know, so much like therapy and, you know, 12 step meetings. And it was my first entry into understanding like the practice of meditation. You know, I had dabbled in it a little bit and they taught it to us actually in treatment. And just, I had a lot of tools, right? Mm -hmm. And so I understood that this sense of inadequacy was not real, that it was something that was related to you know, how I, how I processed the pain. And, mm-hmm. and so my life became about trying to address this emotional pain. Cause a part of me was like, I know it's not real, but it feels very real. And I will do anything I can to try and address this. So I went- can I actually say something right yeah. there, Catherine, because I think that is such an important distinction is that you could, you could see somehow that it wasn't real. Yeah. Because I think that for a lot of people, they just believe it, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that's what 
some of us fall into is just believing it. But yeah. there was something that you had seen that showed you that it that it wasn't real. Exactly. And and that became the avenue to actually address it, right? Because otherwise you just keep going, you keep believing it, you operate your life from that place of of you know not feeling like you're enough or good enough. Yeah. But something in your experience said to you, no, but this isn't real. Yes. Yes. And I think that what the addiction and coming out of the addiction allowed me to see was my own potential, like what, what lies within. I, I <laughs> was able to glimpse into something that was more powerful than the little me that felt so insecure. Right. Mm -hmm. and, I, and there was a connection that was made, not fully formed. And it was kind of like the thread that I was pulling on because from the time that this emotional pain came back, I basically, any kind of conventional and non-conventional modality that I came across, I would give it a try. Because I was mm -hmm. like, I want an answer. I want an answer. Like, how does one ever, you know, become happy, right? Mm -hmm. I know it's possible, but I, I don't feel happy, right? And so it became a quest for me. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the conventional turned into kind of alternative modalities. And I've always been very curious about alternative healing and energetics. I didn't really know much about it, but it always drew me. And spirituality was always mm -hmm. something that spoke to me from mm -hmm. a very young age. And then the 12-step program itself is a very spiritually based program. And so mm -hmm. th that, that whole part of me was in development, right? Mm -hmm. And then I have this idea for this diaper bag one day. And it's like this light bulb moment where I'm like, I'm going to make this diaper bag, even though, you know, I've never made a thing in my life. I don't know how to do it. Like, I have no idea how does one create a product, right? And as much as I had no business having that idea, another part of me was like, don't allow yourself to talk yourself out of it. It was like, I could understand that there was a window of opportunity that had opened up and mm -hmm. I had the choice to jump or let it close, right? Mm -hmm. And so I was supposed to jump. And when I did, that really became kind of the start of a journey that I could never have predicted, you know, what was going to follow. But it mm -hmm. really was as much an idea about a product as it was about me, like really just holding back that voice and saying, you know what, I'm just going to do the next thing. I'm just going to yes. do the next step and not think about that. Right. Yes. And you know, what ended up happening was that I put a bunch of steps together and it was very slow going at first. And I really fully expected that it was eventually going to fail. But, you know, it was always, always almost on the precipice of failing, right? It was like, okay, <laughs> that's probably going to fail, right? And after that, we're like, oh, I'm still not, you know? And then I got to a point where I was like, wow, you know, I actually got way further with this thing than I ever thought possible. Mm -hmm. And I've done so many things that I never thought I could do. But at the same time, it's like, there, I've been lucky. This is a house of cards. And those things over there on the horizon no idea. I don't think I'll ever be able to do those things. Mm -hmm. Right. And that was the constant state that I inhabited for years and years and years. Yeah. 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 So it's like, 
It's funny because on one hand, I think your decision to start so young was a part of the healing process in a in a way that you you were you were exploring all these modalities, but you also had this sense that it's only through some kind of action in my life that I can really put it to work, exactly. right? Like that's what I, I've found is that it's that relationship or that business that you start or the job that you take. Sometimes it's through those those choices yeah. that we work through a lot of these things. And And yes, all those modalities are supportive, but they only take us so far. Like we can't just do those in a bubble, yeah. right? But it is also interesting that sometimes those those challenges that we face are stubborn <laughs> and it's true you're just sort of you you are making progress but you still feel like ah it's still i'm still looking to the horizon and it still feels hard you know yeah yeah and you know i think that that actually is kind of the that's the point right mm -hmm. Like yeah. you think, oh, eventually it's going to get easy, right? And maybe mm -hmm. it gets easy for a little while, but then it gets hard again, right? And yeah. that is what we've signed up for in yeah. kind of stepping into a purpose that is aligned, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I'm thinking we shift gears a little bit here. And I wanted to ask you more about your entrepreneurial journey. Mm -hmm. And if you could tell us about how it's pushed you or continue to push you outside of your comfort zone? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you have this idea for a business and you think it's all going to be like, you know, amazing, right? Like it's just going to be so successful and like, you know, having this amazing vision that propels you forward and inspires you and excites you. That that's what that's what it was like initially. And, you know, what it has become is the hardest thing that I've ever done in my entire life. Right. And, you know, that that there isn't really. Like a point at which you're there, right? Like you think that once I get there, then right. And that point keeps changing. And mm -hmm. not only that, it doesn't look like the way that you think it's going to look like when you get to that point. Right. Because, mm -hmm. you know, in any given day, like everyone, right? There are things that are like going really well. And then there are things that are just like, you know, not right. Mm -hmm. Or where you made a mistake or where you lost money. And so, you know, when it came to the, you know, day to day kind of being immersed in, yes, this business is now a viable thing that, you know, mm -hmm. I am showing up to work every day and start to have employees and, and, you know, I have customers and, and it gets more and more complex as it grows. And as, as it gets more complex, you have to figure out the next thing. Right. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so every single one of those things that I had to figure out, you know, eventually I came to see them as actually, this is how I am transforming. Right. Mm -hmm. And I didn't mm -hmm. see myself transforming because it just felt hard and I had no choice. I had to do it. Right. But, you know, in the looking back on kind of the things that I was able to accomplish that I never thought I could accomplish, it really did start to strike me that like, wow, you know, that that 
thing that I never thought I could do, I actually did it. It wasn't actually as bad as I thought it was going to be or whatever. Right. But the, the, there was always this sense of, yeah, but like, I could never do that thing that's ahead of me. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and when I realized that actually this is it, this is the process of you know, what it looks like to be stepping into your dream, right? It's not, it doesn't feel good, right? You think it should feel good, but it doesn't, okay. right? It feels really scary, right? Mm -hmm. And you never really feel like you can really just like, feel like you've arrived, you yes. know? When I realized that that itself is the actualization of something, then that story became really interesting to me, right? Mm -hmm. Because it was like, oh, this is what it's like. And, you know, and I can see that I'm not that same person who started this, you know, mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm really fascinated by this process. And so that narrative became really interesting to me and something that I really wanted to share. Mm -hmm. I love that, Catherine. It's, it's, as you were talking about it, it made me think about how it's like you are, are learning to get comfortable with the discomfort, right? Yeah, like, exactly. like as an entrepreneur that you're constantly hitting up against your comfort zone and having to push past it. And, and you, and it, and it doesn't feel great, like you said, but then the more you do it and you start to see that, okay, I'm getting a little bit more comfortable with discomfort. Yeah. Yeah. You right? just accept it, right? Mm -hmm. You accept that this is just the way it is, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. <laughs> I love it. Okay. And I really love this question because as we were talking about earlier, you know, I often say that you can read all the books and listen to the podcasts and, um, you know, like go to therapy, you can do all those things, but it's really through experience that we process and learn and really come to understand things. Right. right. So yeah. Is what's the most powerful lesson that you've learned the hard way, which is by going through something? Well, I mean, it is the fact that I understand now what I have access to inside of me mm -hmm. that I didn't realize, right. I didn't realize that I have the answers within me and I have this strength within me that I didn't know was there, right? Mm -hmm. And so I looked elsewhere for people to give me answers or, you know, I mean, I think of my entire addiction as me, you know, basically handing over, you know, my power to my boyfriend who introduced me to the drugs and was like, oh, don't worry, you know, like bad things like don't happen to people like us, right? And, and you know, I learned the very, very hard way that, that in actual fact, when he said that to me initially, you know, I was like, kind of like, mm, I don't know if that's true. And I remember that moment, but I ignored that voice that said, mm -hmm. that, that, that's not true. Right. And what did I do? Like I ended up paying, you know, with almost basically my life. Right. Mm -hmm. And what it took for me to, extract myself from that situation, I think, took enormous strength, right? Mm -hmm. And strength that I didn't know that I had, right? Yeah. So, so yeah, and I think that that can easily kind of translate into any challenge, like, you know, the things that I have dealt with in the course of 
running the business as well. You know, like I've made so many mistakes where I knew, you know, I knew that that was not the right choice. And yet I became convinced by somebody or I listened to someone who I thought was smarter than me, you know. So ultimately, I'm not saying that it's not important to get feedback from other people, Mm -hmm. but, you know, to reliably kind of have a way to kind of sit with myself and just go like, how does that feel? Does that sit right? You know, Mm -hmm. that that's a skill that I've cultivated now. I think, you know, for a lot of people, the fear and including me, the fear was, is really loud. Right. And so sometimes you can't, you can't hear through the fear. Right. So. Yeah. I, I mean, I love that. And I think that if you are surrounded by other people who also aren't listening to their inner voice and who who aren't making decisions from that place yeah. then if you look around and and always looking for to others to help you through something then you're you're basically you're asking for help for, from someone who's also asking for help from someone who's also you know what i mean like, right, <laughs> like right, right, and we're right. all just sort of doing the same things not really um, even knowing why right and so yeah. I I can really appreciate that. And I remember like, even when I think back to my own experience of when I started to realize that, okay, I actually do have the answers within me and I need to start turning towards myself more. Like I need to turn inwards more and I will find what I need. And if I don't find what I need, at least then I know, like I can trust myself to go get what I need. right? Right. Yeah. I love that so much. Okay, this is actually a perfect segue because the the next question was about connecting to your inner voice. We talk about that a lot on this podcast and in my group program that I have for women is about reconnecting to that voice that we have tend to press mute on. <laughs> and we're like, nope, don't right. want to listen to her. Yeah, and, yeah. and and what happens when we actually do start listening to her. And so tell me about how you do that. Like, what is your, what are the ways that you connect to your inner voice? Well, I mean, first and foremost, like meditation, meditation <laughs> is my superpower, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I know that like, it's different things for different people. For me, I find that it is the place where I have kind of this sense of like, you don't even see the shift, but suddenly, you know, the answer, right? Mm -hmm. Or suddenly it's just like something that wasn't clear becomes clear, right? Mm -hmm. And that's happened numerous times in my meditations, also in my writing, actually. So, I mean, you know, one of the things that I have been developing of late is, you know, doing a regular writing practice like the morning pages. And some days it just feels like, yeah, that was kind of a waste of time. But some days it really is like really just trying to get to the bottom of like, what am I thinking? What am I feeling? Right. And like not even realizing until I see it, you know, wow, that's what I'm thinking about. That's what I'm feeling. No wonder I feel kind of like, you know, this sense of something that I can't I'd never, I wasn't aware that I was feeling a certain way until Mm -hmm. I looked at what I wrote. Right. And it's a really powerful exercise actually. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I think another way that I listen to my inner voice is like through my body. Right. So like 
you know, if something's bothering me or like pain, for example, is an indication that something is wrong. Right. Mm -hmm. And and like it's so hard to figure out what that's about because you feel like, well, you know, your back hurts or your back hurts. Right. But no, you know, I think that there is kind of this language of embodiment. And, and you know, I, I have I explore like anything that kind of sounds interesting. I kind of you know want to learn about it. Right. So practices like like breath work uh, mm -hmm. and I even find that like running for me is a way that I get clear, right? I often go running and then I come back and my head is just like, it's like the ideas are flowing, right? So, so yeah, I, I, there's a, there's a number of ways that I'm, I'm able to tap into that. I love those. So you mentioned meditation, breathwork, journaling, and exercise. So for you, it's running. Can you tell us, I know Catherine, because we are friends that you <laughs> have a deep meditation practice. Can you tell us like what, uh, is it like a guided meditation that you're doing right yeah. now? And I know you've explored many different kinds, but I'm curious yeah. if there's something that you've been using that you wanted to share. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I was always kind of a dabbler in meditation. You know, I've tried many different kinds, um, you know, like from silent meditations. And then I did, what's that program, Andy Pudicombe? Oh, Headspace? Headspace. I did that yes. program for a while. Yes. So basically what happened was around, I think the year 2016, I reached up kind of this pinnacle of stress, right? It was just like, you know, my husband had joined the business. And so the two of us were, you know, both like supporting the family on my little business, right? And, you know, it just felt so risky. And I wasn't sure that we could, it was possible, you know? Mm -hmm. And and I felt very responsible. I felt like this huge financial burden. And, you know, I was very unhappy. And uh, we had our office in, you know, this this building where our neighbors were, this couple, they were like kind of these very well-known architects in Toronto, or actually the husband was a very well-known architect in Toronto and he had his team there, but his wife, you know, he and his wife ran the business. And anyways, one day he just had a stroke and basically he didn't die, but he never recovered. And so his wife had to shut down the business. She had to let go of all the employees. It was like, devastating to their family. Right. Mm -hmm. And I remember that because I thought to myself, like, that could be me. Like, who am I to think that that could not be me? Right. Because I was that stressed out myself. Right. And, and I thought I need to take care of myself. And so in the year 2016, I made this commitment that I was going to start doing something that put myself first. And I decided that I was going to commit to meditation because I just read so much about how, you know, meditation every day, you know, it like lowers this and it like yes. this and like all these benefits. And so I would sit there for 20 minutes and feel like I don't feel anything. Right. And just yeah. but like suffer through it. Right. Yes. And, and so anyways, that year I decided I was just going to try things. And so I tried, you know, the Headspace program and then I found another one. And then I found Dr. Joe Dispenza. 
And to me, Dr. Joe Dispenza, you know, he basically, his book, I downloaded by mistake on my Kindle one night when we were away on vacation. And I was like, oh, shoot, that wasn't the book that I meant to download. <laughs> but I'll just read it anyways. And I was reading it. And like within the first minute, I was completely just like, oh, my God, this is unbelievable. Like it, it just spoke to me so deeply. And so by the next day, I was like looking him up and I saw that he had meditation. So I downloaded his meditation and started doing it right away. And mm -hmm. that was six years ago, right? So six-ish years ago. And from that point, you know, I started to go to his retreats. Um, mm -hmm. and you know, he has many, many different types of meditations. So I basically, you know, became a full on Dr. Joe meditation subscriber. And, mm -hmm. and I know that he doesn't speak to a lot of people. Like, you know, mm -hmm. my husband totally was like, what, what is this? Right. Yeah. But for me, it is a way that is beyond, you know, I think now I could do silent. Right. Mm -hmm. But I think that at the time, what he's taught me and the process that I've gone through to be able to cultivate this incredible state of just bliss and peace and just like mm -hmm. a whole body experience, mm -hmm. I never would have believed that was possible. Mm -hmm. um, so, so yeah, I, I, I am so grateful for my meditation practice because it was really and truly the foundation from which I started to heal. Yes. I am also a fan of Joe Dispenza, probably Dr. Joe Dispenza, probably because of you. I don't remember the root of it. It's probably because yeah. of you, but just backing up to the beginning of your story, how crazy is that sign from the universe that you downloaded by accident, his book? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we kind of glossed over that, but that's insane because, yeah. you know, know, the path. I often think like, about that. Yeah. Wow. Well, I feel like I would have found him anyways, but, yeah. but yeah, I, I do. I feel like, yeah, the universe basically just said, here, read this. Yes, right? so, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So, you know, I think we've talked a lot about sort of overcoming challenges, whether it's in your, in personal life or in our professional lives. But the other thing that I know that you have found your own way around is sort of getting to that feeling good place, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like we, we can, we can get stuck in those feelings, but I know that you have your own tools for how you can shift into that place of feeling good again. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we all need like access to this, this toolbox of like, okay, what do I need now? Like, what can I, what can I do to feel better so that I can make a better decision or so that I can be more present with my kids or, and, and sometimes we try to skip from, from feeling, you know, in that state of, you know, whether it's negativity or turmoil or anxiety and jump straight to the next thing. But we, but what we really need to do is just focus on, on getting to a slightly higher state, even if it's not like, oh, I'm happy and everything is great, but how do I get to right. that slightly better state? Right. Right. So can you share with us what you do to get, to get you there? And I'm, I'm thinking some of them may be things you've already mentioned, but if you have anything else you wanted to add. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, 
any one of those things that I mentioned will work, right? So mm -hmm. for example, meditation, you know, working out, doing breath work. The, mm -hmm. the thing is, even for me, like I have to be willing, right? Like sometimes I know that I'm just like, I don't feel good and I won't do anything about it, right? I'm just yeah. like, that's <laughs> it. I'm just, I'm just gonna like turn off for the day, right? Yeah. But you know, all of those things work, right? For me, I think the one that brings the most like immediate like change in brain chemicals is actually working out. Yeah. So if I, you know, do like just even like a 15 minute workout, I feel like a different person, right? Yes. And that's a hard thing to do. Like, you know, I, I'll do that in the morning, but at the end of a workday at five o'clock, I'm not going to get my running shoes. Like it's just not going to yeah. happen. Yeah. Right. So it has to be something kind of kinder and gentler. Right. Which mm -hmm. is, you know, usually is just to go and to lie down. Right. Or I do meditate in the evening sometimes as well, not as frequently as in the mornings. And uh, yeah, I mean, every time I do, I'm like, I should do that more often. Right. You know, so, so yeah, it is just really just about being willing to stop, like recognize, okay, this is where I'm at. Mm -hmm. Right. And if I want to change this, this is my toolbox and like all of these things work. Right. So which one am I going to do? You know? Yeah. No, I love that you <laughs> prefaced it with like, you have to be willing. Cause you're right. Yeah. There, there yeah. are points where you just are yeah. like, I feel like this and I don't want to feel better right now. I actually <laughs> just exactly. want to feel better. <laughs> I want to go in my room and shut the door. I don't want anybody to talk to me. I want, yeah, exactly. exactly. And there's like, there's absolutely a time for that. Like we need to feel our feelings, right? So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, love that. I love that. So this podcast I say is, you know, everyone is welcome, but I say that it is for women of a certain age, meaning, mm -hmm. you know, somewhere yep. around the 40 plus age. Can you tell us about what your experience has been like? I think, Catherine, if you if you want to share your age and then tell us what your how you like your how your 40s and into your 50s has evolved. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I'm 53 now, which is so hard for me to believe. And I remember when my dad turned 50, I was like, wow, he's gonna die soon, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know. When I think back on who I was like on my 40th birthday, like, wow, I was a completely different person, right? Mm -hmm. And I would have to say that, you know, my 40s were challenging, right? Those were the years that I grew like crazy, right? Or I went through the process, like it was a long tunnel of like, you know, just kind of ex like exploring things and trying things and trying to find answers and, you know, hitting dead ends. And try. so there was a lot of that, a lot of struggle. And I would have to say that, you know, when I, I don't know how much it has to do with age really, but the phase of my life of when I actually started to, to meditate really was when things just started to move in a positive direction, right? Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. not to say that it's been easy, even from mm -hmm. that point, it has been super challenging. But what I realize is that there, 
is a pattern and an order to the sequence like in my life that led me you know to for example like the meditation which then you know my attention kind of gets when something catches my attention i follow that like i follow the thread because mm -hmm. in actual fact what i've learned is that that is kind of like the nudge from the universe saying yes. like look at this right and then look at this and then look at this and when i look at that there is a progression right which really gives me this sense of i'm not alone mm -hmm. i'm not alone right like i'm being guided as much as you know i might think on some days like no this is all random and i'm totally alone like it just can't be that i am here you know, in this moment and all the things that happened in sequence from like my recovery from my drug addiction to the business to the, all, the, all the things that happened, it is like kind of this process of me opening and trusting and healing and then mm -hmm. becoming connected to something greater and also to a purpose, right? Mm -hmm. That is ultimately kind of what I think my soul wants right mm -hmm. what my soul came here to do mm -hmm. so yeah that's what that's what it seems like this process has been about mm -hmm. I, I don't think i really answered your question properly oh, you did, you did. You did. Yeah. it's almost like yeah. it's like you're well what i take away from it is that you've been allowing your soul to guide you and the universe, like those, you know, yeah. following those nudges from the universe, but you've been allowing that you've, you've been guiding your life from that place more yeah. and more as you've, as you've like, you know, and it may have started with meditation, but as you gain the years of wisdom, you're leading into that more, which yeah. I think is. And I'm trusting, right. I'm trusting yeah. that, I'm there's a there's a plan and that I'm going in the right direction, right? Yes. So yeah. I love that. What is your vision for your future? You know, we've kind of talked about your journey up until now. When you look ahead, what is mm -hmm. what are you envisioning for yourself? Yeah. I mean I know it's related to to this, right? Like this as in being immersed in the world of possibility and contribution and I think spiritual growth, right? I, I think that that to me is, those are aspects of what my future holds. The specifics, I'm not really sure, you know? I mean, you know, I'm still very, very much immersed in the day-to-day -day of running so young. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I think what has kind of evolved in my role at So Young over the last few years has been, you know, my role of really just being the heart and the vision for the brand and mm -hmm. using So Young kind of as a platform from which I can share, you know, this type of story and message, right? Like mm -hmm. one where people hopefully will listen and hear themselves, right? And hear the possibility yes. for themselves, right? Yes. And I think that is so meaningful to me. And I don't know if there's more 
to this. I feel mm -hmm. like there is, you know, I think I'm just, I envision one where I am curious and I have the freedom to explore whatever is calling me. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, mm -hmm. and, you know, and there's so much, right. Like it's so rich to understand how many directions one can go in yes. when you're kind of doing like healing work and, and everything associated with that. Yeah. I it's more that. about like the potential of the human spirit. That's what mm -hmm. I am fascinated with. And, mm -hmm. and I'm fascinated with what is my potential? What, you know, mm -hmm. anything can happen. Right. So. Yes. And I think, I think we have that like, I think that's one of the things, one of the many things that bonds us is that we both have a passion for that. And yeah. I think I heard somebody say on a, on another podcast that our mind wants certainty, but our soul wants adventure. Right. And I feel like that's what we are leaning into. And so when I work with women who have box themselves in, in so many ways. Right. And they feel this sense of, is there anything outside of this box? I feel like there must be, but like, they just, right. they just, you know, are so conditioned by that box and they have this sense, they have this sense that there is something else, but, right. but they really struggle with even giving themselves permission right. to, to like, you know, open, open the, box <laughs> and yeah. peek out of there. Like what's out there, you know? And right, it's right. part of why I wanted to start this podcast so that we could have more of these conversations and also to yeah. say that it's never too late to start right. getting curious and start exploring, right. you know, what your soul is calling you to do. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Okay. This is the last question for you that I'm going to be asking every guest on the podcast. And it is, what do you think it means to be all you are? Hmm. I think what that means to me is that, you know, I, ha I have this belief that we are in our essence, like a vibration, right? Like that we're energy and um, and then, you know, this lifetime is very much about being in a body, but also kind of understanding that, like, we have access to the essence of us, like our soul. Mm -hmm. But so often what happens is that, you know, because of the experiences we have in our life, you know, we put up armor, right? We put blocks, we have trauma, we have all these things that are blocking us from actually experiencing who we really are, right? Mm -hmm. And and so I see that, you know, everything that I do to kind of work through some of like the the things that stop me, like the things that I fear and all of the healing work that I've done has really been, you know, an exercise in like removing anything that isn't love. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I've had the experience that, and I continue to have it of this, of like, you know, like we are truly just love. Right. Mm -hmm. And everything that we do is trying to get back there. Right. Yes. And that's, and that is, you know, like 
I don't know if in this lifetime I will, you know, live from that place or whatever. But I think when you say like, be all you are, I think ultimately when you clear everything else away, we're just operating from that place. And we know, right. We know that that's, that's us at, at, at our very, very core. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, Catherine, that is the perfect way to end the podcast today, <laughs> the episode today. I love that so much. Thank you so much for joining me. And I know that everyone who is listening is is going to have received so much from you and from your story. So thank you for joining me. It was so (laughs) much fun. And I'm so honored that you asked me to be on your podcast. Wasn't that as beautiful and profound as I promised it to be? No matter how many times I hear Catherine's story, I learn something new. I also love what Catherine said about being fascinated by human potential and her own potential, especially. I'd love for you to pull out your journal and pen right now and consider this. What if you got more curious about what is possible for you? Where might it lead you? Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I hope you found inspiration and use this podcast to start stepping into all you are. To hear more about the podcast, follow me over on Instagram at Kana underscore all you are. Send me a DM. I'd love to hear from you. And if you're loving the podcast, I'd be so honored if you'd go ahead and hit that subscribe button and leave me a five-star review. Until next time, remember to keep exploring what it means to be all you are.